to you. Thank you so much for leading us in that worship. I just love that last song. It's so special. Um, I'm just going to do a quick plug because I said to Dawn that I would. Um, uh, Phil has already said about Philia. Um, Philia is taking place on t in two Saturdays' time. Now, for many people in this church who are heading to Open Doors, I know that's an extremely busy day. But if you're not, there's cards at the back that have all the information on. We have a speaker coming on Saturday evening, Saturday the 14th, going to be at the barn. And uh, the speaker's called Joe Soper. Wonderful, gifted, lovely, gentle, funny lady. I'd really recommend you to come along. And it's a women's event. I should say that, perhaps. So, I had a talk the other day, and the preacher started by saying, um, sermons come and sermons go. And that's true, isn't it? But it's what is said and the connection it makes, how God responds to to the, the words, how he responds inside us. I want you to know, as I have prepared for this, um, this talk, I have wrangled with it for some time, and uh, I've been thinking a lot about it, and I just present it to you, really, for you to listen to see how God responds inside you if, if there is um, a response from him. So I'd just like to start with, with prayer, really, just for the Holy Spirit for this talk. Lord God, I just thank you for the privilege of being able to stand here and share um, for the things that you've put on my heart. And I just pray, come now, Holy Spirit. We long for your presence. May you drench this place. We're thirsty for you, Lord. We need you, Lord. Thank you that you do promise to be with us. Just may I, um, I pray that you would bless this talk. In Jesus' name, amen. This talk is about um, digging deeper wells. And I think I've always had, well, quite recently had a, a bit of a thing about wells, actually. Um, uh, a few years ago, when my, one of our sons was much, much younger, and we used to meet here on Sunday morning, and this place was packed. And we used to go and sit up there, and he used to bring his crayons, and he used to bring a pad of paper, and he used to draw just as, as God led, really. And I particularly remember one of his drawings, and it was of a well in a desert. And it was your standard kind of well with a wall around it, and, and blue water in the center, and sand around. But the, the well walls were cracked. And through the cracks, the water was gushing. And the gullies that it made out into the sand was full of life. And I really thought that was such a statement of the Holy Spirit in a, in a dry place, bringing life. And then last year, I spent a lot of time um, looking at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus meets her, doesn't he? And, and we know it so well, it's so familiar to us. And uh, um, she goes towards to get water, nobody else is around, and they start this conversation. And uh, she's asking, he's asking her for water, and then she's asking him for water. And he says something to her in John 4, and it's in verse 13. He's talking about living water. And he says, everyone who drinks this water, i.e. from the well he's sitting on, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And and to me, there was always a bit of a catch in that because so often I feel very dry. I, you know, I, 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 I long for more and I don't, and I, and I feel so dry. And then um, earlier this year, um, we came to church on a Sunday morning and we were meeting in the school and we brought friends with us to that service. And um, these are friends that we've known for many, many years. And at the end of the service, um, the the guy um, spoke to a, a, a deacon and her husband and said, I have a prophecy for you. And he gave this prophecy. And then later he emailed it to Phil. And uh, he said thank you for the sense of community that he had felt in our church that morning, the friendliness and, and the openness to the spirit and for the, for the word. And he sent that prophecy again. And um, Phil then, I, if I've got this right, read it out the next week at church as a, a, a word of encouragement. And then on Hungary, I think this was a day later, we came into, um, we meet on a Monday evening uh, once a month to pray for an hour. And all around this room were prophecies that have been given to this church over um, months, over years of time. And I knew some of them, but I didn't know all of them. And it amazed me as I went around reading them how they kind of dovetailed in to one another. But as I, read, as I read them again, as, as I read each one, I came back to this prophecy of the well. And in my mind, I kept thinking, what does that mean? What does that look like? And there was a flip chart there, and I wanted to write on it. But what does that mean? What would that look like? And then um, I was asked to speak um, a little while ago, and uh, I thought, well, what on earth am I going to talk about? And I thought, I'd really like to talk about wells. I'd really like to look at them. Perhaps we could just have a look at the word that was given. I should have asked that earlier, sorry. Thank you. So this is what our friend, and perhaps I need to just explain a little more about our friend. Um, he has, in his time, led a, a, a church And uh, two years ago, he um, stepped aside from full-time leadership. And his call on his life is to go out to the nations. He travels a lot. And to speak into uh, churches, to speak words of encouragement. And this is the word that he gave to us. I felt the Lord prompting me to share a call to dig deeper wells as he wants to fill them. His filling would be in proportion to the depth of the well I was led to the widow in 2 Kings 4. I sensed this is a word of encouragement. Dig deep. I am aware that prophecies need to be weighed up. They need to be examined in the light of scripture and they are subject to interpretation. Today, this evening, I just want to look at wells in the Bible. I'd like to look at wells in in the world today. And then I would like to come back to this prophecy. Wells are mentioned numerous times in the Bible. Uh, First century Palestine, no piped water. Dry, arid place. 
and yet wells formed a centre of community. It may be hard for us to imagine that with our reservoirs and our rivers and our taps and our bottles of water. But there is no life without water. In fact, to own a well and possess the surrounding countryside were synonymous in terms. So if you owned the well, you owned the land around it. If you owned the land but didn't own the well, you were stuck. Because the water watered the crops, fed your animals, it brought prosperity, it brought life, it brought community. And the, the talk of the wells go all the way back through the history. We first read about them 4,000 years ago with Abraham. And it goes all the way through the Bible. And it takes us, you know, to, to, to Jesus sitting beside that well. And there's other references as well. Wells were so important, they were fought over. If you had a well, you protected it. Enemies would either want to take over that well or they'd want to fill it up. And many Bible characters locate their blessings beside, or the blessing had something to do with wells. You remember Moses when he was escaping from Pharaoh. He escaped and he went and sat beside a well. Why did he sit beside a well? Because it was a good thing. Water was a good thing and people come to good things. People needed to come and get water. And through um, sitting there, he got uh, to know the priest of Midian. He married one of his daughters. He got an income. He got security. Jacob and Rachel met at a well. Indeed, it seems quite a place for pairing up because Isaac's servant, of course, sent by Isaac, went to a well and waited. And that's where Rebecca came down to collect water. Abraham and Isaac named their wells. Names, wells are, are named in the Bible. One, they called one contention and another one hostility because there was fighting around it. But later in that same passage, you read about them digging a well and he, they called it Rehoboth. The Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful in this land. Metaphors as well were used for spiritual conditions of the Israelites. 2 Peter refers to people who have gone astray as wells without water. And Jeremiah complained that the Israelites had forsaken the springs of living water and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How sad to let go of the springs of living water and instead just use a reservoir dug into the ground. And that is a, a broken reservoir where the wa that water cannot be held in. On a more positive note, Isaiah said, therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Wells today, Again, something we don't really focus on. I, I don't know if any of you here rely on wells for water. I certainly don't. But if so many parts of the world 
The well is so important. We just take, for example, Africa. Um, we had a, a message the other day from Emily Irvine, um, who is um, out with YWAM, I believe. And uh, she was talking about going off in a mission trip. And she said, you know, she was worried. They were going to send her to a place where there were no cement floors, no mattresses, no electricity, and no water. And she said, please, will you pray for that? And in this vast continent, there's countless villages that are not near a water source. One liter of water weighs one kilogram. It's heavy water. And apparently, and I've checked this out, the average person in this country every day will use 158 liters. Now you go, that can't be true. That can't be true. But in our washing machines, in our showers, in our cups of coffee, in our water, 158 liters a day of water. Well, of course, if you're collecting water, that you absolutely can't rely on collecting that much water. And so people walk for miles each day. And this is often a job for the women and it's for the children. And they walk long distances and then they walk back carrying their precious possession. And it's dangerous. They're so vulnerable. And it stops the children going to school and it stops the women in, in being in employment as well. And then having collected the water, of course, is it clean water? The World um, Health Organization says that water-related illnesses in Africa kill more children under the age of five than HIV, malaria, and measles combined. Fresh water is so, so important for us. And for this purpose, and for this reason, there are many charities involved in digging wells. And to, to dig a well, though, of, of course, is, is not necessarily a simple thing. And I have spent a long time this week reading about digging wells. I had uh, some wonderful information from Tearfund, which gives details, detailed information about how to dig a well. Well, I'm just going to boil it down a bit, really, because there'd be too much. Um, if you're going to dig a well, first of all, you need to know that you're going to get access to water. And you need to know that the well is going to be deep enough to go to the water level when the water level it is, uh, is at its lowest. Because, of course, hot uh, seasons, uh, dry seasons and wet seasons. The authorities say that they believe they know where the well is, Jacob's well, where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. And the thing about that well is 105 feet deep, and it goes right down into the ground. And it is not reliant on the weather outside. It goes deep into deep pools of water. You can rely on water being there. You also need to do a ground survey. So what are you dealing with when you dig into the soil? What is it clay? Is it um, pebbles? Is it sand? Is it rock? Are there huge boulders involved? And then having agreed on that, you need to know that you need strong walls. The walls need to be strengthened and they need to be sealed 
because contaminants can get in. You hear wells being placed near the local latrines, and so contaminants get in that way. And there needs to be a sealable cover over that well so nothing drops in. That's not always possible. Sometimes it's a bucket dropping down, and each time that bucket goes in, of course, it can be dirty, it can contaminate the water. The best thing is to have a sealable cover over the well. And another vital, vital thing with if you decide to build a well, the community must all be behind you. You must gather the local people, particularly the elders of that community, and you must get them involved in building it. And you must give them the skills that they need to maintain that. That it's their well, it's, they take ownership of it. Many, many wells, sadly, have been dug and then when things go wrong, when parts are needed, where, where some skill is needed, the local people don't have that. And then they walk away from the well because it's not theirs. It belongs to somebody else. Somebody else gave it to them. And then they go back to the, their old way of life. The diocese of Kigezi in Uganda has this motto. Water is life and Jesus is everlasting life. And with that, I just come back to the prophecy that was given to us. I just want to go through this, really, line by line, and look at it. First of all, I think it's good to notice in this prophecy that it is a word of encouragement. You know, this is a word that, that we can accept. This is, this is, this is saying, um, be encouraged. That's what John's email was, be encouraged to do that. And what is also very encouraging, I think, is without knowing it, it quotes a scripture that has already been given to this church. 2 Kings 4 is the story of the widow, the widow who was desperate, who had just a tiny, tiny bit of oil left in her bot bottle. And Elisha tells her to go to the community and says, gather as many bottles as you can, take them back into your home, close the door, and start with that tiny bit of oil and fill those jars. And that's what she did. And the more, as many jars as she had, she kept on pouring, kept on pouring, and each jar was filled until she reached the very last one. And as I understand it, from this message that was given a few years ago, was our decision to leave this church on a Sunday morning and to go to the school because God was calling us to make more room for him. And that's what we needed to do. We were filling up here to make more room for him. The prophecies all talk about things, um, uh, uh, an amazing um, opening, an amazing, um, how can I say this? Uh, that, that things are, uh, that God is going to do amazing things here. That's what I want to say. That in this church, that there is going to be a great outpouring of his spirit. We're praying for 10,000 people. There's a sense of excitement as you read through these prophecies. It talks about our existing structures being insufficient. Revival. 
in this prophecy in May, it encourages us to dig deep. So again, it's about making room. It's about making room for God. But work like this is not talking about going out as we might have done before. This is talking about going down. When you dig, you go below the surface. It's hidden and it's tough work. And it means getting something that is packed down in darkness out and away into the light. There is no other place for it to go. You can't tuck earth or bricks or boulders to the side. There needs to be removal. In well, in a well digging, it is necessary to know the soil conditions and to use the appropriate equipment. Shovels may do. Specialist equipment may need to be brought in from outside. And why, in this word, do we need to dig deeper and create more space? Well, it tells us, doesn't it? Because the Lord's filling that he intends to pour out, this living water, his Holy Spirit, will be in proportion to the depth of the well. The bigger space created, the more to fill. Well, singular in that sentence. And you know, for a long time when I was thinking about this prophecy, that's what I was thinking about, that it was singular. And to me, that spoke about Chipping Camden Baptist Church. That this, 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 was this word of well. And to be honest, it was with some dismay that I then read, it actually says deeper wells because I didn't understand it. So what were, are these wells? I, I wondered... We are part of a group of churches, Cornerstone, Cornerstone Churches. And indeed, the prophecies often speak about Cornerstone or speak about Cornerstone. Maybe it was speaking about all the churches in this area, the wider com Christian community in the Cotswolds. But I, I didn't feel certain that that was the case for these words. I felt it was very much being given to us. And then I was involved in one of those conversations where you just sense you're meant to hear something. I was a long way away from here. And we were talking about, as you do, the spiritual health and membership of churches in different countries. And then there was this sentence given. We get so hung up on church buildings and services. But these are just the locker room where the players gather, the place where we meet together in this church, where two or three are gathered, where, where we worship, where we pray, where we, we, we listen. But the real game is out there on the pitch, where we live our everyday lives. And it came to me at that moment that I have somehow come to misplace my understanding of church. For whatever reason, I have stopped thinking necessarily of church as all of us, as living stones, and in my mind at least, church has become a place, a meeting, a time, a message, a style of worship, and even, dare I say that, an essence of rotors, even though they are so important. 
so that this beautiful place where his fragrance lingers will be empty later on because we, the church, will be going back home. We'll be going back to where we live and tomorrow we're going to be found in schools and in colleges, in factories, in coffee shops, in playrooms. We're going to be sitting on buses. We're going to be in cars. And we're going to be rubbing shoulders with others, whether we know it or not, who are also church and those who have yet to form a relationship with Jesus. The Samaritan woman, filled with the Holy Spirit, went back to the place where she was an outcast and using what I consider very dubious evangelistic uh, sentences or messages, brought the whole town back to meet Jesus. Whereas his own disciples went into that very town and came back with just food. They were not full enough, but their time would come. These are my suggestions. I, I, I want to reiterate this as just as I've worked it through. It's for um, you to, to weigh it up. I therefore suggest to you that this word to dig deeper wells so that he can fill them um, refers to each one of us, that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit and that it is a call on each one of us to make more room for God inside. I think this is a word of encouragement that we need to go deeper, that we need to be more hollowed out. And this is to work actively. Digging is not passive. To remove things from our lives that limit our capacity means action and it means hard work. And what might these things involve? Well, may I suggest that they are the things that the bucket hits when we're searching for more living water. This is a time to unearth those things that hold us back. I did think of detailing some of them, but I think all of us inside know what could hold us back. Our attitudes, our experiences, hurts, fears, constraints idols that form boundaries that limit us, that form strongholdings. Perhaps we don't know what our limits are, and perhaps we need to ask the Holy Spirit for his guidance. I believe this is a deeper call to holiness, to actively tackle the flaws in our lives for breakthrough. Romans 12:2 says that we are, need to be transformed or being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the Holy Spirit does that. I've got, to, this evening I've looked at wells. We've looked at wells as places in Israel, that places of blessing. And that to own the well was synonymous with owning the land. They were a, a place of community. They were a place of prosperity. We've looked, too, at digging wells that things need to be done, put in place. The land needs to be surveyed. We need to build strong walls. We need to um, put a cap over the top. We need, as a community, to agree that this 
is the right course of action, that people will own that. And that's particularly true with the elders just in the village of this church, as, as, as I, I'm just um, suggesting this really, and it's for people to weigh up. I'm suggesting that this is a call to dig deeper into our own lives. One of the prophecies that was given, um, one sentence says, how can you prepare for such a season of filling? A season of filling. I have looked in, in, the t- in preparing for this at talks on revival, and it's exciting. I've, I've never really looked at it before, and there's no time to go into it now, but two things I am aware of when revival happens is that God comes. He just comes in power, and things are changed. And the other thing that I am aware of, that when God comes, people come. People who don't know him come, and people who know him come because they want to be filled up too, so that they can then take it back to their communities. I was hearing about Ellie Mumford, who um, in the 90s, she leads the Vineyard Church, I believe I'm right in saying now. In the 90s, she went to Toronto, to the church at the end of the runway. She experienced that. She brought it back to London. She gave the word. The spirit fell in that place. How it spread out to Hong Kong, friends of ours in Hong Kong, was taken back there. And uh, our friend said one night she felt something was going on. She thought, I better go to the church prayer meeting. Normally 30 or 40 people there. She drove around the corner. The church car park was packed. Word spreads when God falls. Duncan Campbell, the, um, who was involved in the Hebridean revival, said, revival is a community saturated in the Holy Spirit. I know we long to be saturated in the Holy Spirit. I believe this is a time for us to prepare the ground. Thank you for listening to me this evening. Um, May I just close in prayer? Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that um, we are encouraged